Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hey, Dragon Talk! Woo! Very excited to welcome all of you mm-hmm. to the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yeah. I am Greg Tito, and that's Shelly over there cheering. Yes. So excited. Woo-hoo. I am extra pumped up this week. There's so much to talk about, uh, especially with our guest, Jim Zub, returning to the podcast to talk about all of the amazing projects uh, in Dungeons & Dragons he's working on just this year. I know. I I don't understand. How does he do it? I have a theory, but I'll save it for our interview. Okay. I will tell you, though, that it has something to do with casting Mirror Image. Ooh, I think that's smart. Right? He's doing it for real. Jim, Jim Zub is just a figurehead. He really is. It's He's not. Got there's like a million Jim Zubs. A whole team uh, working for him uh, in in the background. A whole team of clones. I That's love it. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have uh, a lot, all a lot going on in Dungeons and Dragons beyond just what Jim Zub is working on. We have D and D Direct happening. You'll Yay! be able to tune in April twenty first. 9 a.m. Pacific time for a lot of wonderful news and information about what's to come this year for Dungeons & Dragons. I honestly can't wait. Just please tune in, please watch it, and then we can all just talk about it freely because I'm so sick of holding all of this inside. Right? You don't want to keep that joy contained. You want to Mm -mm. express that joy out there in the world. Yes. And it's... It's good stuff, people. So it really is. You need yes. to tune in. When we're excited also to welcome D and D Beyond to the family, yes. they are amazing. I use that tool nonstop. We've done Me it on too. Random Character Generator here, as well as basically any D and D character I make now. And so it's so nice to have them uh, join us. I'm so excited about that. A wonderful yeah. team, um, and it just makes the party even better. So. I love, love that most folks out there assume that we that we were already a part of a big family, and yes. so now we just get to. We're making it official. Big hugs all around. Yeah, we were kind of like Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, just like oh, I thought you guys were already married, but no, just been together for a long time. Just a great partnership. And actually, I don't know if Kurt and Goldie are married. I don't think they are. I don't think they are. So yeah, not the best analogy. <laughs> But, but their daughter is no longer did. married to the Black Crows lead singer. Oh my gosh, she's had like three marriages since him. I know. Yeah. It's funny, my, my wife worked at a bar uh, in New York City and uh, she would come down and really uh, ha- have a cocktail by herself sometimes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it, was, it was kind of awesome. Uh, when I was on my vacation in Florida, I was at a, a, a tiki bar, and there was a gentleman there doing cover songs, mostly like Alan Jackson, Jimmy Buffett. That kind of mm-hmm. fits the Florida vibe. Um, but uh, he did a cover of a Black Crows song, and I was like, God, I kind of miss the Black Crows. I think I'm going right. to have to bust out that album again. It was really good. It was kind of like, like I think I was either like a junior or senior, I don't know, in high school when it came out, and I was obsessed with the Black Crows for a while. No, I think I was older than that. Yeah. Whatever. They had a really good run there. Fuck you, a few really good albums. Yeah, um, and it does. It brings you back. I love that it about. It brought music. me back. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna polish off my old cassette tape. 
<laughs> Whatever I had. I've never yeah. played with a dungeon master who did this, but I do love that idea of somehow associating. I've never been able to pull this off, but like associating a song with a character or a moment in the game, and then using that to bring back those emotions. Oh, that's you visit cool. a location or something like that. Like I know we've talked uh, to Sirenscape about how you know music can be great use in storytelling. Yeah, but that, that what you're talking about—that nostalgia of of a place or a location that gets queued up from uh, a pop song used in D&D, I think could be really effective. I think that could be cool. Yes. Yeah. Try right. it out. Well, we're going to make it happen one of these days. In the meantime, we're going to roll an insight check on a new-ish Wizard of the Coast uh, that we're really excited about. I personally really love this person. Uh, our very wonderful coworker, graphic designer, Matt Cole from the D&D studio. And you'll hear all about him in this before we get to our interview with Jim Sub. So let's give a little listen. Let's welcome Matt Cole to Insight Check. Hi, Matt. Yay, Matt Cole. Yay. So excited you are here. You are a uh, newish hire to the graphic design and art department for the Dungeons & Dragons team. Is that right? That is correct. I started, I guess, August this past year. So, yeah, it seems like I've been here wow. for a while longer. But it does. Um, I have... Uh, had my hands in a lot of different projects uh, in the in the few months that I have been here. So right. excited to be here too. It feels like you just you know, joined the team on a on a sprint. Everyone's everyone's running uh, full speed ahead with all these fun books that we got coming out this year. Um, so yeah, why don't you? I mean, I, I, me and Shelly are here to just find out more about you. Um, and I'm going to try and see if oh, I got a 13 on the die, which I don't know if that's lucky or not. But I'd love to know more about your. History with Dungeons and Dragons. When did you start playing? So I was, uh, I, I grew up in North Mississippi in a college town. And um, I was one of those kids that sort of gathered around the oasis, the well that was the Walden Books uh, mm. uh, <laughs> um, role-playing section. And all of us interesting creatures that gathered to drink from that well. That's pretty much how I made a lot of my friends um, at, at that age. Sort of, uh, it was the second uh, uh, second part of the uh, second edition, the black cover book, and played a lot through junior high and high school. Uh, it was a formative part of my, I guess, uh, growing up and took, I, I kind of stepped away from it for a while um, through college in my early design career. And when I moved to Seattle, I moved here to work for a museum here, this Museum of Pop Culture, MOPOP. That it, as it's known, and um, worked on a indie video game exhibit in 2014, right around the time that Fifth Edition launched. And some of the curators that I was working with kind of got me back interested. And uh, soon enough, I was going to local comic shops, playing in some Adventures League. And yeah, the group that I have now, we've been playing together for gosh, three, four years regularly. Oh, so, nice. Oh, yeah. And even through the pandemic, that was, you know, we had one uh, one session every Thursday and then we were like, okay, we're all stuck at home. We're going to do two campaigns at the same time. <laughs> and we did. Yeah, so. Wow, great. two separate 
two totally different campaigns. Yeah, a homebrew. We started with Princes of the Apocalypse, and we were doing a homebrew and then wrapped that up and went into Tomb of Annihilation, which... Uh, did as promised, it annihilated us. <laughs> the, the first fifth edition TPK that we had. So, Whoa, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, wow. we did it. Um, rolled up new characters and kept going. So. <laughs> oh, my God. So when you moved to Seattle, this, you did you know that Dungeons & Dragons was near you? Could you feel its presence as you got <laughs> off the airplane? Honestly, I knew that Wizards of the Coast was here, and I maybe peripherally I had been aware that Wizards had acquired. You know, I never played third or three point five or fourth, so like that was I was totally out of the out of the game um, during that time span. But I knew, of course, Wizards was here in Magic, but maybe peripherally knew that they uh, were doing things with D and D. But when Fifth Edition launched, like it became very, um, uh, I became very aware of that. So, yeah. And thus, here you are, part <laughs> of our team now. Um, and graphic design is so interesting and such a big part of what I, I think the success of Fifth Edition is all about. Can you talk a little bit, not necessarily about the projects or things that you've worked on, but you know what kind of expertise you're bringing to the table to kind of level up our, our D&D books here? Yeah, I, I think the big thing, and I've uh, spoken a lot with Jeremy and Ray here in the studio, I, I think coming the most of the graphic design experience I've had in Seattle has been focused on uh, exhibit graphic design. So very much sort of a, a user-centered UX approach to how do you present information. As people, And since exhibit graphic design was so much more about instructional, um, like how do you bring someone into a topic and sort of uh, breadcrumb trail them into deeper and deeper um, information. And I think uh, in, in talking with Jeremy and Ray, that's one of the things that they're really wanting me to help them do is to come in with uh, with that sort of UX perspective on information design. Uh, just from a, a background perspective, I've, I've had a little bit of print, a little bit of packaging, some brand strategy. I've kind of, I've worn a lot of hats as a designer <laughs> over the years. Uh, and your note about fifth edition, part of what, why it's successful, uh, part of the many reasons it's successful is graphic design the, that the team did here for that has just been like, it, 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 it's been a, a sort of a, a, a flag in the ground for a lot of folks. And you see that through a lot of, there's a lot of inspiration from uh, our, from the design that's uh, uh, as it is now, but I, it, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I've been talking with the art director, uh, Kate Irwin, quite a mm. bit on a number of projects. And she mentioned something in passing one time that I totally think about all the time. And it was, it's about like the, the trap of nostalgia. Graphic design is like looking back as like trying to emulate something that's already been. And I think part of like why fifth edition's graphic design has become such a iconic uh, emblem of this era of the game is because it, there's a little bit of wink and nod to what was, but very forward looking, not getting trapped in like trying to redo something that was already there. And That's smart. I was thinking, I was mm-hmm. thinking a lot about that. Like Kate is so right in that it's almost like cotton candy. That nostalgic design doesn't have any like substance to it, but like 
the des uh, graphic design as it is now has like uh, it, it it it's substantive and will will last a lot longer. Um, yeah, and I think that's a big reason why it appeals to so many different people. Um, and you're right, there is that instinct to be like, we want to make these books just like they were in the '70s, and then you look at those books and you're like. How big is that typeface? Uh, <laughs> does that really lead us into understanding how this game works the best possible way? And I can't wait to see your uh, contributions more to the game on on UX design. That's really yeah. interesting to me. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about like the the, the what that means and how you? Uh, I mean, because user experience is what UX means. I don't, I don't know if every single listener will 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 get that acronym there. Uh, but what what is? How, how would you define that? Well, I think so much of the way information is presented is sort of like you said, like 80s and 70s. Uh, it, it's long form text. And it was presented that way, sometimes not necessarily as an intentional choice, but limitations of the technology at the time. Not having uh, digital uh, publishing software that allowed for uh, breaking things up into smaller and smaller bits. So I think the best way to think about UX in terms of graphic design, is there a way to present things with less requirement of um, by the readers? So it's sort of, you, you anticipate, I think that's a good way to think about UX, is you're anticipating what your users are looking for without them even having to ask for it, and you present it for them in that order. So I think that's the, I think the best way to think about it. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially with something like D&D that, you know, can be a little bit daunting for a new player. Maybe they're, you know, a little can be a little overwhelmed with where to start or how to start. And we always say, like, just sit down. You don't need to know anything. But it's, you know, even that alone is, you know, something that needs to be conveyed to people. And, and just thinking of, like, information hierarchy and the order it's presented I think fifth edition does an amazing job with that. And it, if you look back, like I, I play a lot of different role-playing games and go back to old ones, but sometimes you'll open a book and like, why is this it, like you're jumping chapters forwards and backwards. And it's like, this could have been arranged so much better. And that's like you thinking with the UX perspective, basically. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the way books are done now in fifth edition does a really good job with that, but there's always room for improvement. Do you are you a dungeon master? Do you do you ever use some of your skills here in presenting information to your players? I'm glad that you asked. I, it, it, I'm lightly so. Uh, Shelley's <laughs> uh, uh, sort of discussions around being a dungeon master reflect a lot of my concerns. I tend to over prepare, <laughs> and it's like it's that part of me that I need to have. I, I try too hard to constrain things, and like hearing even and in the more recent episodes of just like trying to to be a little bit more on the, on the fly with it and uh, let more organic. Uh, that, that's something I need to work on. I'm, I'm, I, I, I stress <laughs> myself out. I, I feel like I try to overstructure and overplan. And someone I think in the last episode that I heard was like, you know, I don't, don't plan, don't overplan, just outline it and take it as it comes. I think if you're like me and that I think we overplan because we think that it will make us be prepared for anything, but it actually does the opposite because you honestly can't prepare for everything. And when your players inevitably do something that you are not prepared for, then you feel unprepared and that's when totally. you fall apart. So I guess <laughs> that's why, I mean, Greg is one of my favorite dungeon masters. And before we do our, our drunky two-shoe sessions... 
I'm going to peek behind the curtain. He goes, oh, I wonder what should happen. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't expect Greg to spend like hours preparing for a five minute role play session. But still, I'm like, you don't know. You really don't know. And it's just great. And that's where the push pull of uh, prep versus improv comes in because I, I like being that way. But I don't have the benefit of having prepared visuals and documentation and and things, you know. That's why I, I love miniatures and I love uh, that type of play around the table. But to me, that's very hard to prep for because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. So what do I do? Stop the session and then build, uh, you know, something in Dwarven Forge or build, you know, like try to come up and search for a Google search. And even in, in our digital world of trying to have a visual prayer uh, prepared yeah. you know and that falls away so i i think the real thing here is have a balance <laughs> yeah no totally and i haven't gotten to the point where i i'm prepared to try to dm homebrews like i I've, I've always sort of um relied heavily on on the published adventures to help help keep me yes. Uh, on the road, but I'm when I play with the DM that's running a homebrew, and like particularly when we go off the rails, and you can see in their eyes, like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to adjust quickly to this decision that you've made, and it's amazing to me that that aspect of improv to it that you can just like take it and iteratively let it go. So, yeah, in some ways, that's good that you're uh, creating signposts visually for folks because you're doing that prep for them potentially. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. seeing how our how those published adventures actually get used by those new dungeon masters like you, it all comes full circle. Oh my god! Um, so Matt, what you're actually one of the very first people team members I met when I returned to the office for the first time. I think like you were literally like the only person. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sometimes it's pretty quiet in the studio. <laughs> um, but it was so nice to meet you, and and since then we've. We know as we've been dipping our toe back into office life, our desks are actually fairly close together. And we've had some very fun conversations, um, one being about what it was like when we were all in school and like how teachers are just so much different uh, now than they were back, you know, when I was growing up in elementary school in the 80s. But you told this story um, that you were often caught doodling and drawing and uh, getting into trouble a lot with teachers because you weren't paying attention or so they thought or, and you weren't finishing your assignments. And I just, it stayed with me. Cause I think that's something that happens a lot to creative people. Um, and I just want people listening to hear your story and just know like, <laughs> Hey man, if you were one of those kids that was getting in trouble or your kid is, you know, getting in trouble or you're getting in trouble, look where you can end up. I was a total space cadet in elementary school uh, up to a certain point. I kind of lived in my head um, and was always daydreaming and drawing a lot. And I think the particular story you're talking about in second grade, I was so bad at, you know, we'd get assignments in every subject, you know, math or reading or, or English or what have you. And we were supposed to like have a lesson and then do the little paper assignment and then go turn it into a folder. And I could never focus long enough to finish an assignment. I was always, I was drawing transformers, honestly, nice. at that age. <laughs> drawing, I have like, I still have that folder at my parents' house, like crayon and pencil drawings of transformers oh. just in cataclysmic battle. And like, so I was doing that instead of 
turning in my assignments. And as that went on and on, the teacher would do things to try to like keep me focused on doing my assignment. And the sort of last stake effort on her part was to pull my desk in front of the class and have me facing the entire class so that I would, it would pull me out of my daydreams and I would do my work and put it in the folder. But um, wow. that continued through, uh, through most of elementary school. And I kind of snapped out of it for some reason in junior high. Um, but because yeah. you discovered D and D, it's very true. High. That is exactly like you I, had an outlet. I disappeared into Middle Earth for like fifth and sixth grade, <laughs> and came back up into Crin for an, for a year or two, and yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people listening will identify with that story. I do too. Yeah. There was, uh, there's a certain, I don't know if it's a theater person or like a, uh, a creative outlet uh, needing to be exercised in order to do the other work that is less creative, I'll say, uh, is, is really important. I think it's, yeah, it's a big reason why, it, you know, D&D is successful now. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, important that, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of teachers nowadays maybe would see a young Matt Cole and actually want to foster that, that talent and, you know, <laughs> not try to thwart it. I understand that teacher was trying to, you know, do her job as well. But, um, you know, hopefully nowadays, if you see a kid making some awesome doodles and just recognizing everybody learns differently and hmm. maybe find that kid a D&D group. And then now we know when you're getting close to deadlines, Matt, and you can't concentrate, we'll just put your desk <laughs> in front of Shelly's. Yeah. Uh, and you'll, is. you'll have to perform uh, your, your, your tasks in front of her. Uh, and, and we know it works. No, we're going to move your desk outside of Ray's office. That's what we're <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> put me facing Ray's door. We'll put it right in front <laughs> of the, the C-suite. We'll, you know, we'll go even higher. We'll, we'll send you to Providence, Rhode Island. And, uh, <laughs> there, you can it. show them your Transformers drawings. Yeah, there you go. It's a win-win. <laughs> uh, well, Matt, I, uh, oh, I, I rolled a 14 this time, and I think my insight check mm. means... You were mostly truthful uh, on all this, right? You were pretty self-deprecating, uh, and uh, <laughs> I think that is the sign. Uh, at least you've just got a really high buff, uh, bluff check, I was going to say. Deception. Okay. I rolled a three. <laughs> you rolled oh, no, a That story two. wasn't true at all. You can believe anything I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Matt, and telling us all about uh, what you're doing and your background. I think it's really exciting, and I'm so excited you're a part of the team. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you all so much. If folks wanted to, uh, you know, take a look at at, at you know your your social media uh, outlets, yeah. where, where where can people take a look? Oh, I think you could find me on Twitter at uh, uh, backslash Matthew Cole. That's M A T T C H U C O L E. Most of my socials are that or uh, use that. But Twitter, I use not super regularly. Most of them talking about comic books and video games that I'm playing, things like that. And if you want to see other design work that I've done and my uh, some of my exhibit work, you can go to thepaperbackplot.com. And that is my little studio website. And you'll see lots of uh, exhibits from Museum of Pop Culture, some album art posters, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. So... Wow. All right. Great. Very cool. I can't wait to check all that out. Well, thank you all so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. You're the best. And 
Right. Still believe you. <laughs> I love Matt. He's got so many creative ideas. I just really think he's a very wonderful, kind, talented individual. Just like when you just meet him, you just feel like, huh, calm and actually a lot cooler than you actually are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a fan of Dragon Talk, which is always, you know, endears people to my heart. He may have mentioned that the first time I met him. It's and so you're weird. Like, you're going to be my best friend. Yeah, like we almost sit right next to each other in the office. So yeah. I really like to sit next to creative people, especially artists, because when you just need a little break, you can just turn your head a little to the left or a little to the right and just see something really beautiful because they're almost always working on something so cool. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so can't wait to get back in the office to experience that once again. In the meantime, we get to hang out with people who are incredibly creative yeah. and exciting, cool. and they have that same excitement to work with artists and things like that. So, uh, yeah, you're going to hear all about some of this from Jim Zub right about now. Let's welcome Jim Zub back to Dragon Time. Yay, Jim. They can't get rid of me. No. <laughs> back again. We don't want to get rid out, of you. They yeah, pull the you quest back continue. in. I had to check when the last time I had Dragon Talk, and I knew I knew I was having a shortage of Dragon Talk in my life. Last when time we chatted was September 2020. Wow. So not that long oh. ago, and yet, and yet. <laughs> we, need, we need more all the time. It's so wonderful to be here. Not well, that. I mean, yeah, we could. I feel like we could have you on every couple of months with the amount of <laughs> D&D Material you continue to crank out until I am a, I am a barnacle affixed to the SS Dungeons and Dragons, and you will never remove me. <laughs> I, I love, think I love it. I love it. I think Jim Zub is actually a corporation, and you're like the, <laughs> the face of the corporation. And there's actually like I don't know 20, clones, 25 people who actually. We do Just, have a heck of a team. I got to <laughs> tell you, on all these projects, working on the official Dungeons and Dragons comics. I've been writing the D and D comics since 2014. We launched oh. the the Young Adventurers Guides in 2019, and 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 all sorts of fun things. We're going to talk about here. It's all the good stuff. It's right, really yeah. Good. And there has been a, like different support, you know, and, and oh yeah, you're getting to work with uh, with your wife and all that stuff. Yeah. And all these things, right? Like that's so it's amazing, amazing. But yeah, let's go with the. There's so many to start from, but let's go with the comics first because you mentioned, right? Right. And and for folks who may not have listened to every single time you've been on, like, how did that all start, right? Right. Because 2014 seems like ancient history. It is. That was the launch of 5th edition D&D. So I had been doing other comic book work for IDW, the comic book publisher, and uh, the head of IDW really liked what I was doing on the Samurai Jack comic book series. And he just asked me straight out. He's like, if you know we'd love to have you do more stuff for us. What would you like to do? And I was like, you guys have the rights to Dungeons and Dragons. Like it was sort of me just shaking him violently and telling him, (laughs) this is what I want. 
And he was like, really? And I said, they're doing a new edition of the game. Now's the perfect time. We got to do it. And he's not a gamer. And he was like, you, this seems very important. <laughs> Let's start up a conversation. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where we jumped on a call with, with the D&D crew and started talking about the possibilities and talking about their plans around, um, you know, Tyranny of Dragons and all that sort of stuff that was in development at that point. And I got to be on the front lines of that whole thing. It was wild and wonderful. Um, yeah, and, and it was you, in my mind like this will be my only chance to ever write Dungeons and Dragons stuff officially. Like I gotta hold of this right because I've been playing D and D since I was eight years old with first edition, as I say endlessly, and it like ignited a creative fire in me that has never dimmed. If anything, it just keeps roaring uh, brighter and brighter, and um, gain the chance to to write you know in the world in those places. And and uh, the Wizards of the Coast crew were so nice about it. They basically said, look, you know, we're thinking down the road, we might do some stuff with Baldur's Gate, but we don't know. But it's sort of cordoned off in, in its own little space in the Forgotten Realms. Do you want to use some of the characters and concepts there from, from Baldur's Gate in the official comic? And that's where the decision came to bring back Minsk and Boo. Mm. And, and so we kind of came up with a way to take the the statue of the legendary ranger that sits in the uh, in the wide in the market there, and have that get you know transformed, bring back Minsk and Boo to the present day Forgotten Realms, uh, which is now you know part of the canon and and has carried forward ever since, which is really humbling and amazing to have That's that. Amazing. You know? Yeah, and even you describing that again, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about the spell plague and the 100 yeah. years gap. But that was a big oh, thing. Yeah. That was a big uh, topic back in 2014 when we we're like, how do we do this? And yeah, like, got to make this all work. And so yeah. then um, it was this really cool thing. I got to team up with this young, fresh-faced artist named Max Dunbar, Aww. and uh, that Max. was Max's kind of big breakout book as well. And he'd never played D and D before. And uh, so I was just endlessly sending him reference and uh, getting him all hyped up on on the fantasy train. And it's so funny now because his work is so kind of lockstep with, with so much different D&D stuff. And he's, you know, kind of yeah. beloved in the community and everything like that. But that was just an amazing opportunity to work with him. And we did that miniseries together. And that just turned into this rolling series of miniseries. So we did um, uh, Legends of Baldur's Gate which was released in a collection. And that was essentially tying into kind of tyranny of dragons, like a parallel story. And that's what I try and do with the comics. I never want to spoil the adventure material. I, I want people to be able to play that stuff, you know, through, but my stories always kind of fit parallel to what's happening in those adventures as they're going through. The second miniseries we did was called uh, shadows of the vampire. And that was a tie-in with curse of Strahd the legendary curse of Strahd, like my favorite module when I was a kid, Ravenloft, you know, growing up. And then we did frost giants fury, which uh, was tying into the big, uh, that was storm King's thunder. thunder. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember all the things we did. a miniseries called evil at Baldur's gate. That's the only one that doesn't tie into an actual source book. And that was a series of um, one-off short stories, one for each of the characters in the party to kind of give you more of their backstory and tie them into the broader kind of forgotten realm stuff. I got to play a little bit with um, one of the characters I sent her off to Mechanis because I love all that planescape stuff. So I got to do some kind of dimensional uh, uh, wackiness in there, which was a ton of fun. And then we did Infernal Tides, which was the big tie-in to Descent into Avernus, which also brought me into the fold to come into the wizard's office and do some consulting on that adventure with Adam Lee and the gang and, and to hang out with you guys and do the big Descent event 
yeah. back in 2019. Descent event. The Why descent didn't you call event? it that? <laughs> you should have. You should it have. was the best. It was one of the best. I've been to probably like a couple hundred conventions and it was one of the best weekends I've ever had. Like I think that was mostly because I convinced you to shave your head. Or actually, no, I think you convinced me. <laughs> yeah, you convinced I don't know me that, to shave how much head. convincing there was. <laughs> well, to play Minsk Chris on stage. Perkins, uh, asked if I would do a, a, a live stage on like the one of the, the stage games, you know, live. And I said, sure. And then he told me the lineup of players. And it was just like this who's who of, of gamingdom. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be so behind the eight ball. I got to. I got to turn it up to 12 or whatever. So the idea was I would play Minsk. And then we were talking about doing a bald cap or something. And then I just said, whatever, I'll, I'll shave my head. And you were like, are you serious? And I said, I, I was joking about it, but now maybe I'm serious. And then the next thing I know, it all got arranged and we pulled it off. And it was, uh, it was pretty legendary. That whole it weekend was, was nuts. Yeah. It was also was your birthday, time. right? It was my birthday that day. We had announced the uh, the Young Adventurers Guides. Like, it was the most insane summer, but that particular weekend was just, like, this wild, wild ride of memories that I will uh, never forget. Just That's the best. One, of, one of my favorite uh, yeah. moments from that was just seeing you, you know, full on, like, <laughs> yep, I'm doing it. I'm shaving it. Wait, go. did it, it happen there at the event? Yeah, yeah, they actually did. Because I came with hair. Uh, and then oh. it was, and like, took two hours and I left the it there. show. We just... In the back, we had that uh, uh, wonderful woman. Like, oh, I forget her name. She did all the makeup and, and oh, yeah, uh, and that looks so good with the purple streaks. Yeah, super, super sharp. We had such yeah. a good time. And then, uh, so out of out of that this year, well, sorry, last year, I should say, we we did the sixth mini series of the Dungeons and Dragons comic, and that's called Mindbreaker, and it's sort of a prequel to the Baldur's Gate 3 video game. It's all kind of come full circle. You know, when Wizard said to yeah. me, hey, we're thinking of doing something with Baldur's Gate again, but that won't be till down the road. And then lo and behold, it, it's happening. You know, yep. Larian Studios is doing this incredible uh, video game, and we get to kind of tie it all back in continuity-wise to um, to the Baldur's Gate comic, you know, to the D and D comic, and and these characters, uh, which have become part and parcel of of D and D canon, which is kind of surreal. Like a, a, a three of the characters, you know, show, from my comic are in the uh, Forgotten Realms Magic the Gathering set, yeah, which is utterly surreal. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping that well, as they do more, since they've announced they're doing more magic, I want the whole party. I just want to do a deck with the whole party at some point. That would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah, um, that's so great. It's been awesome. And so we've been doing the, the D&D comics, yeah, since 2014 now. It's kind of surreal to think about it. And You've Mind got a Breaker, seventh one coming up, right? Yeah, so it's not a brand new miniseries that we have to announce just yet. But what we have is a one-shot special we're doing this summer. So we've, you know, all the stories I've done for D&D have been set with this particular adventuring party. And I love them. And it's an absolute joy to work on those series with the artists that I've been able to collaborate with over the years. But we talked about the idea that, you know, when you have this much content, it's also nice to have good jumping on points for new readers. And so the decision was made, hey, what if we did like a one-shot annual? So this summer, uh, the D&D annual, the first D&D annual is coming out, and we decided to do a self-contained, all-in-one story that is built off of the uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a uh, Wild story. And uh, I, you know, I read that book and I absolutely loved it. It's such a cool adventure. It's so different and so eclectic and and really out there. And so I said, what if we, you know, took a bunch of those cool visuals and ingredients and we did a brand new story? And so I've got this story of this 
uh, erstwhile kind of thief and she has lost something precious to her. And so she goes to the Witchlight Carnival to try and get it back. And while she's there, she ends up teaming up with this Gone Ranger and uh, they're going to get themselves into deep, deep trouble with uh, Granny Nightshade. So oh, it's, uh, no. yeah. it's so much fun. We're having such a blast. We've got um, two artists on it. Eduardo Mello, he's one of the artists who, he did the Mindbreaker series and did a phenomenal job on that. So we definitely want him back. But the way the story is built, because they they go to the Witchlight Carnival and that takes place in the Forgotten Realms, we've got him drawing sort of the opening and the ending. And then the stuff in oh, um, so cool. the Feywild, we switch artists. So we've got... A, uh, a new artist who's on board and his name is Kyler. Oh, I'm going to forget his last name. Oh no, hold on. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's right on the, oh, uh, Kyler Claudefelter. And he's a new guy. He's never done D&D stuff before, but he's a huge D&D fan. And uh, he literally had just sent me artwork, you know, months and months ago, just in general. And I really loved his stuff and I was sort of keeping track of it. And so when I was talking to my editor, Jonathan, about who might be a good fit, I just sort of threw his stuff into the mix and it really stood out and Wizards really liked it. And so he's going to be drawing the core of the story. And his excitement is infectious. Like he huh. he messages me every couple of days about how, you know, thrilled he is and the, the pages he's putting together look amazing. So it's been an absolute uh, you know joy to be collaborating with him as well. And we get to do this cool Feywild story. So, if, so uh, cool. if any of your listeners have not had a chance to check out the D&D comics, obviously, I would love for them to. And uh, this one in particular, I think is going to be a ton of fun. Um, nice self, self-contained story all on its own. And as far as I know, and I think that this is part of the announcement as well, we're going to have a special, we're going to have a, a an original magic item in the back as well. So you can add oh, cool. that to your game as a little bit of extra tabletop material. So, oh, yeah. I love it. I really yeah. love the idea of having the different artists one, mm-hmm. you know, to depict what happened. It kind of, re- it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You that wake was, up in Oz was, and it looks different. The and- way that we looked at it as well. And one of the things I, we did is I got pretty fancy. So there's a page where they start, you know, they go to the Hall of Mirrors that's in the Witchlight Carnival. And I said, let's have, you know, Eduardo draw the real world and then we'll have Kyler draw the reflection stuff. So we can actually, it's not just like turn the page, but it's even that transitional element as we sort of make the shift. So it's really cool. The whole team's busting their butts as always uh, making me look good. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a real joy to be able to put that stuff together. And I can't wait for people to check it out. Uh, And I, you know, I got, we got Max Dunbar to do one of the covers on there as well. Like, even though Max is, he's doing this little uh, indie book called Batman. You might've heard of it. <laughs> no. Um, but Never. I'm sort of like, look, if you, you know. Sounds if you got, dumb. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's he's got to be yeah. associated with the D&D stuff because it doesn't feel like a D&D comic unless he does a cover. So uh, we got him on board to do covers for this, for the annual as well. And it looks brilliant. It's got like um, our two kind of main characters, Billy and Clipper. And they're holding on for dear life as an owl bear runs amok. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's just uh, just a blast. So. When you say when you say annual, what 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 does that mean? So in comics, it's sort of been this tradition that in addition to the regular sort of issues that come out, they would do these special issues and they would literally just call them annuals. So back in the day when I was a kid, you you know you collect Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, and then once a year they would have an annual because it's annual because it comes out once a year and it's an extra sized issue with a bunch of bonus content and and usually a self-contained story. So it's sort of like this big special kind of treasury issue. And it's not something that they do as much nowadays, but I love them. I always 
always thought they were super fun and special. And so we were talking about this idea of, well, what if we did, you know, we explore this kind of concept of doing some of these, doing a one-shot story and see how people like it. And I said, look, you know, this new book just came out and it's really cool and it's very different. And I think that it's kind of fertile ground. Let's use that, you know, try and slingshot off of the cool stuff that uh, you guys are building over in, in the office. So, so yeah. it's not, it won't be a trade paperback. It'll still be an That's issue. Right. An yeah. Issue that you you get definitely want to pick that up. So I'm not sure because of the nature of it, I don't know where it will be collected, if it will be collected anytime soon. So it's definitely one you want to seek out and pre-order from your local comic retailer. Cause it might be a long time, if ever, before it shows up in a collection. Like I don't, it's not going to be in the Mindbreaker collection or anything like that. That's really its own kind of separate thing. Like, I would love to do a bunch of these one-shot stories and then collect them at some future point, but that's not the current plan. So right now, it's sort of an island. It's going to be its own kind of cool thing. So it does have a little bit of a collector's kind of feel. Yeah, absolutely. And we're trying to make it as special as possible in that way. And like I said, that that it's an easy entry point for anyone. If you, you know, you love D&D, you love the adventures, you love the stuff in Witchlight. One of the things I love about the comics is that you get to see so much more. Like, don't get me wrong, the artwork in the D&D books is beautiful. But like, for example, you know, Descent into Avernus has a handful of these illustrations of locations and monsters and stuff. Whereas when Max drew that miniseries, he's drawing sustained narrative in those locations. He's showing you whole other parts of Avernus and characters and NPCs and all sorts of stuff that you can incorporate into your game or like big visuals. You can just pop open an issue and show people as well. And uh, it's a real cool, it's a nice thing to have atmospherically to kind of bring into the mix. How long does it take you to write one of these? I'm just curious. Um, I I have a feeling it's quicker than most people, but I'm just... Yeah, I've done a lot of comics. It depends on on how much I know. Like with the superhero stuff that I do, some superheroes I know really well and other ones I do a lot of deep dive research. You know, D&D is kind of the same way. Like if I know the subject matter, it just kind of flows. Like if it really kind of pours out of me. So if I've got the idea, and really it's the idea generation for a story is like, what is the core concept that's carrying us through this narrative or whatever? So something like Mindbreaker, you know, we're using... And it's not a spoiler to say, you know, everyone knows, um, you know, the Illithid are a big part of of the Baldur's Gate 3 kind of story and, and the Mind Flayer, you know, kind of culture and the stuff that's going on there. So it was really about just reconnecting to that stuff and then figuring out, okay, how does that relate to our adventuring party? What is at stake? What plot lines are we carrying forward from the previous miniseries? And how can we have those pay off in exciting ways? You know, sometimes readers will say to me, like, you could be so mean to these characters. And you're like, well, we're building drama and entertainment. That's kind of the whole point. <laughs> I don't. What people say of authors, mean, right? That they're. Yeah, I, I just like I create these characters them. and then I torture them. They are for my your heroes too, but you know, I need to put them through the ringer to to show you why they're heroic and why they're they're worth following and those those you know things they need to overcome in order to be just like you know your characters in the game leveling up and the things that they do and so um that's really kind of the core taking those ingredients and putting them down and starting to move the pieces into place with something like the witchlight story it was interesting because i'd sort of read that book fresh for the first time and i could already sort of think about oh wouldn't it be cool you need to have someone and i i thought you know if it's a self-contained story we don't need a whole adventuring party because then you've got the heavy lifting of introducing all these characters and trying to make them feel full i'm like okay we're going to have two <laughs> two characters one main character and then sort of a supporting character you know into this adventure and so billy sharp is this 
thief, but not necessarily by choice. Like she, she has a yearning, you know, and if you've read the Witchlight book, it's like one of the, the kind of backgrounds you can have is someone who has lost something. And I thought, well, that's great. That's a real good thrust. And so the reason why she steals, the reason why she's always stole is because something, something's missing and she doesn't quite know what. And for the first time, when she sees the Witchlight Carnival, she knows it's intrinsically tied to this yearning that she has and she can't quite place it and she's got to be there and figure out the mystery. And so there's a nice little kind of a narrative hook there that I'm really excited about. And the payoff of that happens, of course, all in one set story. It's got a little bit of action, a little bit of drama. There's some, like, I love doing the kind of action comedy stuff, you know, where mm-hmm. bumbling craziness. I feel like that is the truest version of D&D, right? You know, that that it's not about characters always being capable. It's like a bad die roll or a, a crazy player decision can turn a story on the uh, the metaphorical dime, right? And so part of my job is to, to make a, a comic story feel like D&D. There has to be a sense of spontaneous courage or a spontaneous explosion of action because that always feels like what it's like for me at the table. Someone rolls the dice and you're like, well, I guess we're not doing that thing I thought we were doing anymore, <laughs> you know, or that spell didn't work or or all of a sudden you got that crit or you got that fumble or whatever may have you, you know, and now all of a sudden we're in this other way. And that's, that's there's a joy to that at the table. And I try and inject a bit of that into the comic wherever I can. And when you've got characters like, like Minsk or Kreidel, it's easy because Minsk is the original he, he was Leroy Jenkins before there was a Leroy Jenkins. He's the original door kicking, you know, like, let's go get him heroism, right? And so that- The ultimate that himbo. Makes, he is. He's amazing. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and so uh, when you have characters like that, it it drives the whole thing forward. It's just like a story engine, like a joy engine. We're just going to, you know, turn it up and let's roar. You know, that's what's so fun about it. Um so yeah, the comic is is near and dear to my heart. I hope you guys uh, check it out. It's coming out this summer. I think it's going to be June for the D&D annual. And uh, it's looking amazing. We're super, super proud of it. Literally art is coming in every couple of days. And that's one of the nicest things about collaborating with people and working with such skilled you know, artists is that my inbox is just a constant source of oh, inspiration. New stuff be. hitting all the time, which is so cool. Um, yeah, and, well, and, and speaking of which, I mean, you're a little bit of an inspiration giant yourself by oh. creating these uh, young adventurers guides uh, and and getting them out there. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many kids or parents have come to me, uh, even on Twitter or just you know in general, just being like, "Oh my god, this is the reason why my child reads." Not even yep. <laughs> not even why they love D and D, but just the fact that they are reading now because of of these books. Greg, you know, I have said this multiple times and it's so true. Like, I think that those books will outlast me. Like though the, the Dungeons and Dragons Young Adventurers guides have been such an incredible experience, such a joy to work on. So exciting and fun. And the, the, our crew, so it's Stacey King and Andrew Wheeler and I have been working on these books since 2018. This is the sixth book we just announced actually this week. It's called Dragons and Treasures. And it comes Yay, out. Yay, come this on. Fall. Finally get like, our dragons book. Right? Woo. It's so good. It's so <laughs> awesome. And and those books, though, like all, all six of them, you know, they're built to be this kind of creative concept generator. So what they are is they're rules-free guides to the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, when I was a kid, I would flip through the basic 
red box or the monster manual. And I would absorb myself in the description of those worlds and those ideas and that artwork. Like there are pieces of art in that first edition monster manual that are like branded in my brain. Like I, I can see them. I close my eyes and I know them intrinsically. Is it that and big circle beholder one? All of them, all of them. Like <laughs> there's so a, many. I know that I can I, never shake is that yeah. weird almost moon <laughs> his face. Eye, I know his eyes are like, oh. I know exactly what the Minotaur artwork looks like in first edition D&D. Like yeah. I know that picture. I know what the Mind Flayer looks like. I know what, you know, Demogorgon and all that kind of stuff looks like. It was very, very uh, core to me. And I, you would trace them or draw them or, or copy them or stare at them. And like they came alive for you when you were playing the game. And so the idea was um, Adam Lee approached me and Wizards was talking to an imprint of Random House called Ten Speed, and they wanted to put together something. This was a, in quotation marks something for a younger audience to bring them into the worlds of D anD. d And this had happened. They called me because when I was at the D anD. d office doing consulting on what would eventually be descent into Avernus, that was like four or five days where I was just hanging at the office with all you wonderful people. And at night we would just go out and have drinks and and chatter. And I was out one night with Adam and, and Chris and Jeremy, I think. And we were just talking about how we started playing games, you know, how we started playing D&D. And I relayed the story of being eight years old and my brother was 12. And, you know, it became a bridge for us to communicate with each other. And it was the way that we collaborated and how we kind of became closer than ever. And uh, all the highs and lows of that, right? And the original D&D red box, it says, is for 10 and up. And my brother wags his finger and says, you're too young for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like all those ridiculous <laughs> things that you do when you're a kid. But, um, and we played and we loved it. And like I said, it turned me into a storyteller. And so um, they loved that story. It was just fun anecdotes and things like that. And so Adam called me up and he said, look, we're putting together these this thing with 10 speed and we don't know what form it takes yet, but I just want you to literally get on the phone and talk to the editors there and tell them about what you see at that age. Cause it's the perfect age. You were eight years old when you started playing D and D and you very viscerally can recount why it grabbed your attention. Yeah. We need to channel that into whatever this thing is going to be. And by the time we finished that phone call, I kind of like grabbed the steering wheel. Like I just said, look, I don't just want to tell you a story and then walk away like this I believe like with my heart that that I know what this thing is because I can remember what that was for me. And I would love to be a bigger part of it than just like a, hey, that's cool, special thanks or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and they were like, cool, you know, tell us what you think. And so I kind of walked away from that meeting and just barraged a proposal together. And I said, look, we can do a guidebook, you know, for kids that's like all about the worlds and the concepts and the precepts of, of, race and class and, and how it is to pull together an adventuring party and all the cool magical items and, and mundane equipment that you need in order to go on an adventure together and make this like a really cool visual guidebook. Um, and they came back and they said, what if it was two books? And it was like, I mean, I'm cool yeah. with that too. So the original idea was we were going to do a hero book and a monster book. And then almost as soon as we started building it, and we looked and we looked at the format and the size and how much the word count would be. And we couldn't stop talking about it. And then they said, okay, let's do three books. So it was like, we'll do a dungeon book and we'll do a hero <laughs> book and we'll do a monster book. And then we just kept going and it was like, oh, magic's too big. Okay, we'll do a magic book and a monster <laughs> book. And so all of a sudden we had a four book series from this original idea. And that's where kind of the original format of Young Adventurers came about. And so we did Warriors and Weapons, 
we did uh, Monsters and Creatures, Dungeons and Tombs, and Wizards and Spells. And those all came out over about a year. And the response was amazing. Librarians loved it and teachers and parents. Um, it's been translated into six or seven languages. And wow. we would we get photos from little kids in France clutching the French editions of the books and, oh. you know, Portuguese and, and, and Russian and uh, just Spanish and, and amazing. Like it was this incredible thing that we were seeing from all these, you know, books coming out and um, then kind of came back and said, well, do we want to do more? And the answer was, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. We got sidelined with, you know, pandemic stuff, but now finally we're kind of back on board. So we did Beasts and Behemoths, which came out in fall of 2020 and now finally, Dragons and Treasures is coming out. And so we're just like, we get to delve into all that kind of stuff. I mean, the good thing about the Dragons and Treasures book being pushed back was we were able to incorporate tons of stuff from Fizban's Treasury. Oh, yeah. There. So right. inadvertently, yeah. it all kind of silver lining worked out, you know. I do um, have to take you to town. Ta- oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joy. No, no. Well, well, I, mean, I was just going to say, it's a stupid throwaway joke, which is oh. only two out of those six books alliterate and this is not <laughs> this is not on brand it's true it's, it's true yeah i need we need to get more <laughs> more of those to alliterate properly it's tough you know warriors and weapons of beasts and behemoths they work very well they work really true. well it but, does you know yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry but, man yes. we're no, gonna have to revoke it <laughs> yeah but yeah the, the young adventures all. guides have been really cool what was really amazing as well was the decision made i assumed we were going to repurpose artwork from existing books but the decision was made to generate almost entirely new artwork yeah so there's this incredible studio called conceptopolis and we worked with them to generate and kind of art direct the books so they've got all kinds of new artwork of all these creatures and places and locations and equipment and all that kind of fun stuff as well. So we found that a bunch of existing kind of D&D fans and players, they've really liked it because it's a nice kind of rules-free book they can hand to just about anyone about a subject. The monsters in particular, one of the best anecdotes I heard from a librarian was that she was using monsters and creatures as an in uh, content like in-game book, like it was a book put together like an old hunter of all oh, the notes and ideas, cool. that, like field all notes. The, yeah, all the things that he'd learned about these monsters, and you know they handed off to this young group of adventurers. And the best part was, you know, the first few encounters they would go through, they were like, oh, what is this? And they look through the book and they figure it out and they've got strategies to deal with it. And then after a few, you know, like half dozen encounters, they had a creature that wasn't in the book and they were like, what do we do? And their DM goes and says, you have to write your own page. And they were like, whoa, just freaking out that they got oh. to add to the guy and they were probably so excited and, to do oh, it. Yeah, totally right. Yes. And so now they have a format to look to and they have an exciting thing they can go, well, here's our strategy, and here's how we dealt with you know whatever the monster was and stuff like that. Which, you know, those are the kinds of out-of-the-box kind of ideas that we never even thought of when we generated the thing. And now people are just taking and running with the ball with it. It's yeah. so cool. It's so there's nice. so much inspiration in there. I I don't I don't know if I if I told you this, you know, if I sent you a message about it or not. I know I, I've talked to Greg about it, but my son is eight. So the age right. that you were, that magic yeah. age, third grade. Um, when school started, I bought a couple of sets of the Young Adventurer's Guide to give to his teacher for awesome. to build up their library. And um, Quinn came home from school and he was like, oh my God, we have a problem. You, <laughs> those books, you need to buy more books. Because <laughs> 
the teacher had, you know, it's like free reading time. Okay. Right. And, and she like held up a couple. She was like, Quinn's mom brought us some new books. Would anybody like? And he said the they the class erupted and <laughs> they were crawling over wow, each other and like pushing each other out of the way to get to the books. Every one of them wanted to read that she had to resort to like popsicle sticks with their names <laughs> on it and draw names. Be like the first eight kids could get the books. Oh my first. gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. So uh very very cool. Very popular. And I also I'm surprised he hasn't popped in here yet because he was excited that we were talking to you. Oh, but sweet. Quinn has, um, he started uh, writing comic books. Oh, awesome. So, yes. see, wow. he has found his inspiration. My heart is full. My heart is so full. I know. Every time, every time we get a message from uh, uh, a dungeon master who's using the books and it's working really well for them, or a librarian who says, you know, they get taken out so frequently they're going to have to order another set because, yep. like, I want books to be written to death, read to death. Like, I want. You know, I know to see like yeah. a beat up copy of yeah. it and like it's sitting the on the library shelf. It is one of my favorite memories from a comic convention was I was at uh, London Comic Con and I was doing a signing and uh, at the same time as Marv Wolfman and he's like legendary comic book writer. He's done. He was editor in chief of Marvel for a while. He did Crisis on Infinite Earths and all this kind of stuff. And he did a long run on Spider-Man. And so he was sitting there and some fan brought over a copy of the first appearance of Black Cat. And the cover was barely holding on. Like the staples were fighting, you know, with the shreds of paper. And the fan was laughing. He's like, look, I know this seems really dumb, but like I've had this since I was a kid. And he's like, these are my favorite ones to sign because it means you read it to death. You loved it, right? Yes. And so I'm literally helping hold the cover on so that Marv can sign it so it doesn't shred as the marker touches it because there's so little connective tissue. Like oh, that, If some kid brought me a Young Adventures guide and they loved it to death, then that's the ultimate compliment, right? Give it like a few the, years. They will. There's a I, reason why it's hard to find mint copies of old D&D books. Like modules in the books, yeah. they got the name written in them. They got the stats crossed out. They got the modules <laughs> perforated. And people played them. They love them. They're games. They're meant to be used and yeah. loved and memories to be built around them. That's the whole thing. Well, I, I can't story. tell you. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many times I also reference the Young Adventurers Guides just for my own information We've, as we've well. heard <laughs> a lot of adults using them because, you know, Let's be honest, if you're an adult player and you get handed a player's handbook and you flip and you see charts and tons of numbers and all that stuff, you're sort of like, oh, is this a textbook? Is this homework? And you're like, no, this is the best damn, you know, imagination (laughs) engine you can imagine. But just just don't worry about that stuff. We'll tell you when to roll dice. We'll tell you how this stuff all works. But if you've got something like the Young Adventures Guide or D&D Beyond where they can, you can click your way through and you get a character built or you can just sort of say, what is it? What do you want to be? I want to be this kind of thing. I want to be a tabaxi rogue. I want to be a, you know, like a sorcerer. I want to be an elf. I want to be a gnome or whatever. Then then the dungeon master and the other players, they'll deal with the mechanics under the, the hood as you go. They'll handle that other stuff. You just need to bring exactly. your excitement and your enthusiasm, and we're going to make something special together. That's the whole point. And that's what I feel like the books do well. In both Warriors and Weapons and in Wizards and Spells, we actually have like a flow chart. Yeah. And so you literally answer like four questions. And when you answer those questions, you get a character concept out of it. And so it's like, it's a really easy way to to engage someone and, and strip away all the extra and just say, what are we going to 
play? What is, what is this all about? You know, the make-believe kind of element rather than getting caught up in the minutiae right from the start. For sure. And I love that the way you're saying that adults use these uh, yeah. two for that reference. Um, and it just reminded me of our third amazing topic that we've got here. <laughs> on that. Uh, I can't believe it. We're hitting them bang, 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 bang. But yeah. the idea of a pop-up book when we were kids okay. was <laughs> just a yeah. very small, like, oh, hey, there's a house. Isn't that neat? Right, or right. here's the pull the tab and there's a big bird waving at you. Ha, ha, ha. That's adorable. <laughs> right. Pop-ups have, have, have leveled up since then. It's the craziest thing. So Stacy and I, St- uh, uh, you know, we work together on the Young Adventurers Guides. Uh, we are on the grandest adventure of all together. But like we're working <laughs> together on on the, it's called Dungeons and Dragons, the ultimate pop-up book. And I know someone listening, this is going to be like a pop-up book. And like Whoa. you said, you are used to, oh, look, the hand waves or look, you f- open the flap of the door or something and there's something underneath. And that these are for very small children. Let me explain to you, the pop-up book is no longer what I thought it was or what we thought it was when we were kids. These are full-blown paper engineers. And this guy that we're working with, Matthew Reinhardt, he is a full-blown genius of paper assembly. I have never seen anything like this stuff. It is next level. These books, if you could see in front of me the way I explain them, they unfurl. Like you open a spread of this book and this paper craft kind of assembles and interlocks and turns into buildings and turns into structures or creatures before your very eyes. It is absolutely nuts, the stuff they can do with paper engineering now. It's mind-blowing. It's wild, right? And he is a big fantasy fan, and he used to play Dungeons & Dragons. So he's got a vested interest to make this stuff as good as possible. He's worked on uh, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and and Warcraft and all these other big IP pop-up books, and he loved doing them. But he's also got, like, skin in the game. Like, he wants this one to be the biggest and craziest one he's done yet. Yeah. And so we are collaborating with him um, to, to put this pop-up book together. And I just was not ready for it. Like, I thought this would be a fun little side project and we'd write up some, you know, little descriptors and stuff would do what I thought pop-up books would do. And then they showed me some of his paper craft, some of these award-winning, you know, books he's done for, for, uh, I, I love to just call them pop-up books because it's so next level. It needs a new, a new term. You're absolutely right. It's like, I, I, it's next level stuff. And so we started talking about core locations in the Dungeons and Dragons worlds, you know, key uh, precepts and and creatures and encounters and how we could showcase these in a really cool visual way. And, um, you know, Stacey and I put together this insane list of possibilities for something like the yawning portal in Waterdeep. Mm -hmm. And, And here's the kinds of encounters you might have, or here are the kinds of things that could happen to start off an adventuring party. And then, like three weeks later, he comes back and we get on a Zoom call together and he's built this insane structure that that unfurls and unfolds and interlocks before your eyes. And he didn't just take the list. He put everything in the list. Like we said, here are ah. some ideas. <laughs> and he did, I'm not exaggerating, 20 different points of interaction on one two-page spread. Oh my and it's God. not even a, a pages. It's really a construction. It's a, it's so, a 3D sculpture of... Yeah. The yawning the, portal that's right. created in front of you in yes. your very eyes. Yes. It's, it's With like too scale secret too. entry. Yes. It's that's nuts. my favorite and part so of it is that you can doors use... open and characters slide into place and, and the portal swirls and 
in this, you know, behind the this dark alley, you can see a deal going down and then you can pull and see it happen one way or or shift and it happens the other way. And this was the other idea that we had to try and make this possibly the most unique kind of pop-up book possible. We wanted to have a bit of a game element to it. Yeah. And so what we came up with is this concept of, wouldn't it be cool if you had a, a 20-sided die and you could roll little encounters and depending on what you roll, you put the tab this way or you move it that way and you see it mechanically kind of happen visually before your eyes. And then they came back and said, well, what if you could build a little D20? And so there's <laughs> going to be a little paper craft D20 that you assemble with the book and then you roll it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the most awesome. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Beyond. It's, it's, yeah. We and got so, to see a video um, mm-hmm. just of like his, his construction, I think. Yeah, in the preliminary stages. Yeah. Well, and I no, think, no like, color. No, yeah. no, no. Just, just like white the, paper, but the it, mock-up. Yeah. And I think both Greg and I, I guess we probably both had the same assumption, like a pop-up book, that's right. going to be fun. Be fun. <laughs> and yet it is so like jaw-droppingly yeah. wild. And intricate, even at this oh, early preliminary detail. stage. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't want to reveal all, there's five different spreads, which doesn't sound like a very big book, but because each one has so much interaction and articulation, yeah, this book's still going to be gargantuan thick, yeah. and you're going to spend time. You're going to spend time investigating all these little fun, you know, bits and finding little secrets that we are hiding in this thing. And yeah. every time I, I think that he can't go deeper on it, he will just come back and go. I'll say, well, what if we did this instead of that? And he goes, we'll do both, and then he'll put both <laughs> into different spots or whatever. And so I'll tell you. Three, no, I'll tell you one more. So we have uh, a, a section from the Tomb of Annihilation that's in there. And it is nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. The amount of stuff that he's worked his way in there and the fun little cameos and bits that you'll recognize from the adventure and the way some of those traps play out and some of these little double blind kind of uh, reveals are done in the paper craft is really, really something special. So um, if you are, you know, the D&D fan in your life or you yourself listening to this and you want something really funky and special, first of all, what I recommend you do is type up like a Matthew Reinhardt uh, pop-up and then you're going to yes. see the stuff he's done on these other books and they are next level crazy. And then imagine your favorite, you know, Dungeons and Dragons creatures and spaces suddenly uh, you know, exploding in that same kind of way. And they are tall and they are big and they are funky. And um, I'm just so excited to be a part of this project. Like, I feel like, you know, Stacy and I are just so honored to to be throwing ideas at him because he takes that He artwork takes them and, all. So. Yeah, he takes it all and he incorporates <laughs> it. And he's there's nothing that intimidates this guy. Like, we send him these you know, crazy illustrations from the D&D worlds and these locations and these items. And he just looks out for a little bit and he goes, oh yeah, I could see how you could do that. It'll just, it'll uh, uh, rise up before your eyes and then it'll just slide into place. And we're like, if you say so, you know, like I don't, <laughs> I, know. I don't know what else to say at this point. Like I don't know an how actual wizard. Works. Yeah. I'm like, I guess yeah. our text will uh, somehow be a part of this amazing, you know, concept, but, you know, we're writing all the supporting text and the flavor text and all that kind of stuff. But really we just want to give him as much space to be creative and awesome. And what I love about it too, is like, you've got the the content that you're creating for it, right. That is going to be super fun. But like, I can imagine 
dungeon masters using these as like scenery for their for their <laughs> thing, right? Oh, you want to sit in the yawning portal? Good. I can <laughs> open up this page. It's kind here of you nuts, go. Here's right? the yawning portal because it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the exact same scale. I don't but it think is, it's necessarily miniature scale perfect, but it's certainly like it's as similar. a visual. It's yeah. It's. I think be we close. can stretch the imagination. And Honestly, I think it's pretty close. <laughs> and it, and what's incredible about it as well is because it's so you know, interactive. There's just something really, really neat about it. There's something yeah. just unexpected and and delightful about the whole process. And so for me, that's what's been super fun is to see what's possible in these kind of spaces. And now it's almost, we've taken a turn at first. We were like, oh, can you do this? And he'll be like, oh yeah. And now we're sort of like, hey, Matt, what about this crazy thing? And he just go, let's do it. You know, and so we're all incredibly excited as we're we're finishing off kind of the last you know of the spreads here wait till you guys see them it is uh it is next level Uh, and we want each one to be more impressive than the last and the fifth one is nuts (laughs) that's all i can say it's like uh yeah okay if you think you can do this we will uh rev you up and let you go but yeah matthew is a an absolute beast and uh, he's the kind of, you know, I think all these projects are about finding passionate people who yeah. really want to be able to deliver something special and 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 bring other people into the fold. And hopefully that energy carries through on each one of these things. And that uses time. so many different disciplines too. Like even just the three <laughs> things you mentioned here. I mean, obviously writing is a sure. true line and artwork, but like the fact that there's, you know, sculpture and 3D engineering, yeah. paper engineering, as you called it, like, and that is... An inspired uh, by inspired. That's totally right. <laughs> I like it. Inspired by Dungeons and Dragons, but then you've got yeah. like, okay, how do we how do we educate and and and, and get more young people involved? And that's, right. you know, uh, the testament to the artwork that you're talking about with um, the annual uh, is all this yeah. comic book artwork that comes in, and I have all that in there. Like it just. I, it makes me very excited for Dungeons and Dragons as a whole when there's so many different people from different creative disciplines firing on all cylinders like this. And I think what's also so cool is that, you know, we're in this amazing zeitgeist right now where people are loving D&D more than ever before, but it's the way that they're showing that love, whether it's in their fan art or their cosplay or music or their live, you know, game sessions and all those kinds of things. We see this creative kind of explosion where they're using the base foundation of these worlds and these books, but they're injecting themselves into it and they're propelling it into all sorts of amazing and unexpected spaces. And that's, that's the best thing you can hope for is that, you know, it's not just about the game itself, but it's about what people do with it and how they get to inject their own creativity into it. And so, you know, if the stuff that we do gives people more inspiration or gets them to think differently about the game and their characters and and the possibilities, then, then we're doing it right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like say that all of these super creative people that you've talked about uh, also are D and D players and that's why they're <laughs> you super know, creative, but I mean, maybe right? right. It is. It is a little chicken in the air. It worked for me. I got to tell you, you know, that's one of the funny things when I try and explain a lot of people ask me about the writing process and, and, you know, I'm constantly using kind of D and D comparisons, even when I'm writing non Dungeons and Dragons stories, when I'm writing superhero stuff for Marvel, or I've written for, you know, Samurai Jack or, or, you know, um, Rick and Morty or all these kinds of things over the years, it's like I'm running a campaign 
and I've got these unruly players and these unruly characters that I'm trying to figure out how to direct that energy, right? Like, where are we going to go with it and how are we going to utilize it to maximize kind of the, the entertainment and the impact. But if I'm writing the Avengers, it's that corny, what would Captain America do? Like what would, you know, I, I've got a book coming out uh, through Marvel called Thunderbolts. It's our boy Hawkeye leading a team of, uh, that he is not at all, maybe not qualified to handle or he has no control over and is trying to hold on for dear life as this kind of team gets away from him. And it's like, I'm constantly sitting down and when I write the page, it's, okay, I'm role-playing Clint Barton. Like, what is this, you know, Archer with this troubled past and, and future? Like, what can it be and how can I see it moving forward? And where is the drama in that? And what would he do in this situation? It's not about what I would do. It's yeah. about what he would do. And that's role-playing, right? Like, at the heart of all this stuff. Yeah. So whenever you're playing a character or whenever you're building fiction, it's not about me injecting myself so much, although I see common traits and, you know, ideas from these characters, or I empathize and and can see myself, parts of myself in them. It's really about who they are and what are their values and how can I carry that through on the page, yeah. you know, every time and convince myself that the actions that they're taking make sense based on all the evidence I have before me. You know, in the same way that it's like a, a, a dungeon master has to weave these worlds and make you feel invested in them and part of that process. Yeah. Yeah. And I like uh, what you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this, where, you know, as authors, we torture our our, our characters <laughs> and have to get them to go through this gauntlet. And that's yeah. not unsimilar, or I keep on using making up words, not dissimilar. <laughs> From how a dungeon master has to right. operate, right? Like you have to, yeah. you know, put these adversaries that are, you know, nasty creatures in front of your party, and how your part players and and right. party members, uh, you know, overcome those challenges is. We the want story. the PCs to succeed, but we want them to earn it. We yeah. want them to feel that rush of excitement and and the feeling of victory in narrative and combat and all those kinds of ways that they come away from that experience like adrenaline rush of we did it, you know, our strategy or our teamwork or our good fortune and, and the fun that that can kind of be. And the fact that no matter how much I plan, and this is the big difference between <laughs> playing the game versus writing the story. When I write the story, I get to pick those moments. I get to decide that's where the natural 20 plays out, or this is right. the, the most thematically appropriate moment. But there's a, the unexpected joys that come from the randomness of a die roll or the cool idea of one of the players throwing in at that optimal moment, you know, in some ways the dungeon master's plans unraveling in real time is, is a real joy as well, because you never would have come up with that idea on your own. And now everyone is injecting a bit of themselves into the narrative, you know? I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, I think the improvisational nature of D and D only improves people's writing, writing, you know, like I'm sure Absolutely. there are those who outline the heck out of everything and make sure they know uh, what each character is going to do uh, at every point of the juncture before they even get down to start typing. But there's right. also writers, uh, I don't know if you're this way, but I know we've talked to like Bob Salvatore and stuff where he's like, I know the general gist and then right. I, it surprises me each chapter what happens and how those characters interact. And so there is an improvisational nature 
when you're getting to dialogue and things like that. Do you, do you... Absolutely. Like I, I will have a plot overview and an outline. And in comics, I've got even a structural kind of scene beat, like this scene will take four pages or whatever. But then when I get down to the nitty gritty of pacing and, and paneling and scripting, the dialogue will surprise me or I'll realize I got to make more room for something because a moment is kind of un unfurled before my eyes in really exciting and fun ways. Or you realize that something thematically you had put into earlier pages is more important than even you realized. And now you've got to go back and retool it and, and kind of tune it up to make that even more powerful or interesting, you know, yeah. and those are the, those discoveries are a fun part of the writing process. And you don't ever want to, you want to have enough structure that you know what you're doing, but you want to leave room for that spontaneity and they, those exciting little kind of moments that pop out of nowhere. Uh, it's See, great. It's better when it's I balanced, love. perfectly balanced. Right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's why, it's why we do this stuff, you know, and the fact I get to do it with some of the best people I've met in this business and on some of the coolest, you know, worlds and characters I can imagine. I try never to take that for granted, you know, like in my head at, at the grace of moments, I'm still eight years old and I'm just like on a sugar rush, you know, running around in these little, these little worlds and dungeons. Mm -hmm. And when I think about it, you know, when I crack open a box and there's a book with my name on it, and now I get to make these cool things, I'm eight years old all over again. It's the best. Yeah. I know. And I love the idea of you just, it all comes full circle of all the eight-year-olds yeah. that you're inspiring right now. I cannot believe it. Literally honestly. right now. Like I occasionally I see people on Twitter, like we'll send a picture and be like, Jim, look, there's my daughter with your bug. I know. Like, oh, I, know. I love seeing it. Stacy and I freak out whenever we see that stuff. We get kids that will send us their handwritten character sheets or their character concepts or whatever. And you know, there's oh. a running, there's a running <laughs> gag of like, when you're at a convention, a gaming convention, and everyone wants to tell you their character and you're yeah. like, oh. I've heard too many over the years. I'm I'm embittered. But when a kid tells you, no, no. you can't get bitter about that. Your 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 heart no. soars to hear their ideas and the fun things that they're doing. I also love hearing where uh, a couple of people have told these amazing stories where you know the the father is a dungeon master and he's going to run for the family and then he says something and the kid corrects them like pulls the book out and goes wait a minute that's not how it goes mm. and they're like oh all right we gotta you're right I'm we got a rules lawyer yeah, yeah. but it's like in the mo in the most fun way possible because they've read it and they've like invested themselves in it in the same way that I did like I remember pouring over those maps and pouring over those encounters. Um, one of my favorite comic creators when I was in high school is this guy, Adam Warren, and he was a big D&D &D guy. I didn't know that till many years later. And now we're good friends. And literally there was one night where we sat around talking about Dungeons and Dragons and remembering the names of villains and NPCs from first edition modules. Like it doesn't get much deep, darker than that. That's like amazing. where you're like, do you yeah. remember the barkeep and this, you know, in, 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 uh, you know, whatever bone Hill or like all these kinds of things, or who was that betrayer in the original, <laughs> you know, sinister secret of salt marsh. And you're like, Oh, Ned shake shaft. I remember that guy. Like, <laughs> like wh why do you remember that? Because that dude betrayed me in the game. And he you don't forget that. Me. You don't forget that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, <laughs> Those are the fun kinds of things. Like I remember that in the old red box set, the bad guy's called Bargle, you know? Yeah. Like, cause he's a, he's a bad dude. He did very terrible things to my party. Like, Bargle, Bargle. 
Uh, so great always to catch up with you. And these three projects, you know, I, I feel like they, I, at first I was like, how are we going to weave this together? But they are, they all have a same, the same thread of, yeah. of bringing people together like a good D&D party to uh, uh, just get excited and tell these stories together. And so, uh, you know, kudos to you, Jim, for keeping it going. And Thanks. these, I can't wait. I mean, that pop-up book is going to be fantastic this fall. It's next level. Oh They're my all God. crazy. It's They're such all a joy great. to be yep. a part of it. And like a good party, like a good gaming group, you know, I love collaborating with these other people. And um, I'm so, so fortunate to get the chance to work on this kind of stuff. And the, the unexpected ones, like, honestly, the pop-up book is something that when it was brought to me, I thought, yeah, you know, we could do that. That's and cool. now I'm, I can't believe I get to be a part of it. You know, the Young Adventures guys was like, oh, this could be a neat little thing. And now it's got this huge kind of footprint and it's doing all sorts of fun stuff. The comic awesome. series keeps things rolling. And it's kind of the reason why all of this other stuff has happened and why I got yeah. to know you two fine folk. That's right. That's right. Yeah. What, how can folks find out about all these fun things as well as the other you know, uh, superhero uh, stuff you're doing? Uh, I know, you know, Hawkeye is on everybody's mind since the, sure. the miniseries on Disney Plus. So if you ever want to get into comics, like, you know, Thunderbolt sounds like a good one. Please. Yeah. Thunderbolts launches uh, at the end of May. We're really, really excited about it. But I've got, obviously, like I said, a bunch of D&D comic stuff on the go as well. The easiest place is just my own website. So it's just jimzub.com. So J I M. Zub.com. Uh, almost said Z because I'm Canadian. I got to remember to get the, <laughs> the right letter. In there. And so, uh, yeah, uh, jimzub.com on there. I've got all, you know, links to buy all the stuff and, and interviews and reviews and all kinds of things like that. I also have on the website, if you look on the right hand side, there's a little column of tutorials how mm -hmm. to write your own stories. Oh, I got to show Quinn that. Yeah, how you pitch publishers, um, what it's like working in the industry, how to collaborate well with artists what it's like to go to a convention as a professional, just all kinds of stuff that I wish I had known when I was starting off in the industry. And so I just kind of put all those thoughts down and answer questions as much as I can to help other people to tell their own stories and do stuff. Love it. Love it. Thank Check you. out jimzub.com. Uh, and God, we, well, all these things hitting, right? We got the June, the D&D annual, D&D mm -hmm. Adventurer's Guide coming October, and this fall, the ultimate pop-up book. Yeah. Put it on your list, everybody. Rock and roll. Thank you so Amazing. much. Amazing. Thank you, you for everything that you do and all of the beautiful, wonderful content you just continue to Thank put you. into our little hands. I, I can't stop. Like I've, I've always Don't told you stop. guys, I'm like, if you let me go, I will just keep making and keep building because I got to do it as long as I can because this ride, this adventure will not stop. No, it will awesome. not that's a that's a inspirational poster I'm going to put on the wall <laughs> with a kitten like holding on be like that's your adventure will not stop, stop. let go this need more XP. this adventure <laughs> hangs on forever hang in there little adventurer <laughs> it's a tabaxi it's got to be a tabaxi saving throw yes keep going Greg why haven't we made those little now tabaxi motivational posters <laughs> let's do it alright we're okay. on it so good stuff, man. Uh, always good to chat with you. This is great. What a wonderful conversation with Jim Zub. I love talking to him. Me too. He's seriously just the best person. And it's any wonder that he even has time to talk to us with how much he's doing work-wise. It's incredible. And uh, always a great interview because he, we can just have him talk. And, and yes, we never get a word in edgewise. It's so great. So I love that. We can just hit record 
and kick back. Sit back, drink some coffee. Oh, yeah, and and then check back. No, he's he's seriously, he's the best. Does anybody love their work more than Jim Zub? I I think we do. Except for us. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Uh, Just kidding. Love my job. It is the best. Uh, And you can find out all about the fun stuff that Jim is doing as well as what Dungeons & Dragons has in store. Uh, You can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com or our YouTube channel. That's probably a really good place for you to bookmark for April 21st, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Nonstop D&D Direct videos and announcements will be happening that day, Thursday, April 21st. I can't believe it. I know. I'm so excited. Please just watch it because I can't hold it in any longer. We are going to be talking about it all next week and all the fun stuff for sure, but it is exciting uh, for, for multiple reasons. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So that's available on our twitch.tv slash D&D as well as our YouTube channel. You can watch along and jump into the discussion on our social media accounts as well, on Twitter, Instagram, all the fun places. Tell us everything that you're thinking about what Dungeons & Dragons is doing uh, due to all the announcements at D&D Direct. Yep. And what are you most excited about? Exactly. I, I know. know what I am. And you can tag me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Uh-huh. Look for all that fun stuff uh, to be dropping, as I said, Thursday, April 21st. In the meantime, speaking of dropping... Oh, man. That was an amazing segue. I know. Drunky Ugh. Two-Shoes just stabbed the hand of an enormous, enlarged doppelganger in its true form. And Daryl Two-Shoes, his limp, unconscious form, <laughs> dropped out of the hand, this giant hand. And Balthazar is a gnome wizard flying a griffin, part of the guild that defends Waterdeep from attacks such as this. What do you intend to do as you see your brother's limp tabaxi form slide out of the hand of this huge doppelganger? I scream. I try to tell Balthazar, Balthazar, cast something! Help my brother! And I'm trying to steer the griffin down... To hopefully still get underneath Drunky at the last second. Okay, so make me an animal handling check because I know you're good at that. I and see if you're able to influence animals. that. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Twenty five. I critted it. No way. You crit? Yeah. Nice. Okay, so you do that, and uh, that frees up Balthazar so that he can pull out. Um, his he's got like a little feather token uh, brooch, and he you oh. see him kind of activate that, and he points towards the fall. This is all happening in a split second. As uh, Daryl is falling, uh, he casts Featherfall upon Daryl's oh. limp form, and you see him start to sway, not quite making the ground quite yet, but um, is safely descending at a safe speed. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you, Balthazar. And then as you get the griffin going down, uh, you're able to kind of swoop down and uh, have him land on the griffin, or you can let him go to the ground. How do you How do you want the griffin to act? Just take him with us. I don't trust him on the ground. Okay. All right. So you, with that amazing animal handling, you're able to maneuver the griffin underneath the you know feather-falling 
uh, brother, and oh. he lands. Uh, I'm gonna say he he lands. Um, he lands in front of you, uh, so kind of near the griffin's head, uh, and is is still has the feather fall on him. So it's not like a huge impact. It's just he kind of is draped in front of you as yes, you're going. That's what um, I picture. But the griffin is still very uh, encumbered and is struggling to try to. Oh. Uh, to uh, gain any altitude. Okay. Do I know where Samson is at this point? Samson is, uh, I think he had been fighting the doppelganger and uh, was going to be destroyed, but then he threw, I think the doppelganger threw Samson aside. <sighs> okay. Um, I would, so you don't know where he is. Is there any place on the ground that looks safe, like that I could tuck Daryl into? You see a uh, wagon that's full of hay stacks uh, that has, you know, maybe like 50 yards away that could potentially serve. Okay, okay. I'm going to go drop him in there in a little bed of hay. Because okay. he's still unconscious, right? He's still unconscious, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, so you, you the, the griffin is trying to gain altitude, but then you direct it towards, uh, you know, laterally towards where this wagon full of hay is, and uh, you can slide Daryl off into that. Okay. All right. Let's and then Balthazar go. says, All right, now we've got to destroy this thing. Let's go. And you swing back towards the doppelganger that has um, lots of spells exploding around it from multiple defenders of Waterdeep. Uh, so it's looking worse for wear, but it is still angry and screaming and trying to destroy as much as possible. Okay. And we'll pick it up next time. Ah! What will occur? 